with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Now, we're sort of in the host chair on a day where we were supposed to get snow, but with the temperature staying above zero most of the day. Steve on the board, as usual, for me. Got a great job. And speaking of snow, perfect thing for my first guest. Sandra Riches is with BC Adventure Smart. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning, Alan. How are you? Not too bad. And yourself? Pretty good, thanks. Now, first off, I guess a lot of people might be going, BC Adventure Smart? What's BC Adventure Smart? <laughs> That's a great question. It is a program that started in British Columbia 16 years ago wow. by the BC Search and Rescue Association. And what we do is we uh, educate outdoor enthusiasts, all ages, all demographics, all user groups, about outdoor safety and personal preparedness for safety and safe practices so that we can help reduce the number and severity of search and rescue incidents in the province of British Columbia. And we know, I think just last week, we had the local numbers come out. Calls to search and rescue are up this year. And I'm guessing a lot of that is probably because of the pandemic, with more people getting out into the country. Is that happening right across the province? That's provincial-wide. You're mm-hmm. right. And it is. Uh, there has been a notable increase. Search and rescue volunteers are that. They're volunteers. They're unpaid professionals. And we've got 2,500 of them in British Columbia. Your local Prince George Search and Rescue is one of the 79 groups. Wow. And all of them are really, really busy. Yeah. We saw a, a, a large increase, over 30% increase in search and rescue calls this summer. And there's some uh, concern, I'd say, amongst all of us that, that this winter could be following the same suit. We don't know what's going to come down the pipe, and we hope that everyone will practice uh, what we preach here with outdoor safety, but, um, you know, you add snow to that equation and the interest in outdoor recreation, but also the encouragement of um, our health officials Mm -hmm. to be outside because it is a safer space to be in. And and we love that. Uh, That's great. We want everyone to get outdoors, but they need to get informed before they go. Now, you have an online presentation tonight on backcountry safety. So what's that? And how is the presentation working? Like, is there a possibility of having a Q&A at the end, or is it just going to be a presentation from your people? What we do is um, myself tonight and, mm-hmm. and my tech support crew here at BC Adventure Smart, we've been putting these on every week throughout the fall and through December. And then we'll go every other week, January to to March. And and tonight's session, I believe, is full. So um, have a look at our Facebook events page. Double check because registration is required. It's all free of charge. Mm -hmm. But lucky for those who can't make it tonight, we have more coming down the pipe. And there's more before Christmas. And then the next one that's like tonight, which is really snow safety and backcountry awareness. Um, that one's coming up again in the new year, and it's all listed on our Facebook events page at BC Adventure Smart. But tonight's focus is snow safety and backcountry awareness, and we really stem it all around our three T's. We really want everyone to trip plan, make a plan, file a trip plan. We have an app for that. I can share that uh, with you in a second. Okay. We want you to have the proper training for the activity that you're doing and the season. Right. And then always take those essentials with, with you and add to it season and sports specific. So I have a list of essentials I take always, no matter what activity. But for winter backcountry travel, I'm always, and everyone in my group, taking avalanche transceiver, shovel, and probe. But I also know how to use it. Wow. So even if you're not necessarily figuring and going to avalanche country, you never know what's going to happen in the backcountry in B.C. We have to be prepared. If, mm-hmm. if we're choosing to recreate in these areas, um, in managed 
spaces, which could be within a ski area, um, a managed trail system. We still have a responsibility to be adventure smart and be responsible outdoor enthusiasts. But if we choose to go into the backcountry through um, a proper access point, which is not ducking the ropes at a ski hill, (laughs) we need to understand that definition between inbounds, out-of-bounds, decisions to be made about how to access that backcountry. And, you know, leaving the controlled um, spaces is a big decision to make. And outside any of these controlled spaces, there are hazards that aren't controlled. They're unmanaged spaces. So you need to be aware of the current avalanche forecast, know how to travel through avalanche terrain. That comes from your training, actually, and taking some courses. Know how to undertake companion rescue. So everyone that I head out there with, no matter if I'm on a snowmobile on my snowshoes, my micro spikes, we all are trained. But before you head out, you also need to have a comp- comprehensive trip plan left with an emergency contact, have all the necessary training, and pack all of the essentials that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And I'm thinking in this part of the country, like up in Prince George and places like that, um, it, a lot of people think of, well, the essentials, I'll just make sure I've got my cell phone with me. But they have to remember, in this area, there are some places that still do not have great cell phone coverage. So that's not going to be a savior for you, maybe. Absolutely not. No, we, we encourage everyone to take other devices that will help you navigate your route mm-hmm. and communicate to, to outdoor, outdoor agencies if there's an emergency. So if we go back to that first T, we talk about making a plan. Mm-hmm. Sit down at your kitchen table, get out those guidebooks, look over maps, study what you've got, understand your group dynamics, what everyone is capable with, of, mm-hmm. what they're carrying, and plan it together. It's really a fun part of the process, mm-hmm. and that includes going on to our Adventure Smart Trip Plan app and filing all of that information on the app so that you can send it off to an emergency contact. And if something does go wrong, they have that to try to get you first. They're going to call you. Hey, Sandra, where are you? Yeah. I don't answer. Then they're going to head over to 911, and they're going to let the police or RCMP know, and they'll pass out the local search and rescue. But planning that travel route in your navigation is critical, and having the right communication devices is perfect, and the cell phone isn't that. No. So I'm going to have a, a communications device to alert search and rescue. I'm going to have a GPS unit. I'm going to have a number of different devices that I know how to use because I've taken the training, mm-hmm. and I understand what their capabilities are in your region of the province, which is unique compared to the rest of us, definitely, based on reception. Uh, but my phone is there just in case because the battery can die pretty easy if it gets cold. Uh, reception isn't always there. So those other devices are critical. Okay. And then training, I'm guessing it, you don't necessarily have to have everybody have gone through like a six-month course in outdoor survival training because that's just not reasonable if you're just getting a group together to go out for the afternoon no no what we're focusing on here um we really want everyone to understand that training actually probably started for some of us quite young Mm. i know my dad taught me how to use an axe and chop wood that was my job i had to fill the wood box and start that fire every day after work and school (laughs) i didn't know at the time it was training but i'm quite (laughs) grateful now i've got that skill um you know so there's that from our parents, there's mentorship, there's certification-based, which would be avalanche skills training, wilderness first aid, navigation, communication. But the whole point of it is that it's continuous. It's a continuous process, and we can really break it down into activity-specific skills training, physical fitness and, and mental stability, navigation and route finding, 
wilderness first aid, and then rescue and emergency training. You know, and in joining any of our online webinars throughout the winter and summer, we do this all the time, uh, is part of that training. It's, it's increasing your awareness, which will start you thinking and get those gears going and start uh, practicing those best practices. So I'm guessing part of the training thing then would be after you do the trip plan, say, okay, there's going to be the six of us. Now, which of us know first aid? Make sure that at least one person knows first aid just in case something happens. Yeah, exactly. Ideally, Alan, in, in the mm-hmm. ideal world, <laughs> everyone has all of that. Yeah. So, so let's say the person who had the first aid training and no one else did. Let's say that person gets hurt. Yeah. Then we're in a pickle. But, you know, the idea is, I, ideally, we want everyone to carry all of those essentials and add to it season and sports specific. We want everyone to have the right footwear. We want everyone to be physically fit and mentally prepared for emergencies. We want everyone to have filed that trip plan. Uh, groups can get separated. Weather can change. There's a lot of dynamics in the equation. So best we're all at the same level. Ideally, that's the ideal situation. So the trip plan, you should do it probably well ahead of time, but then update it shortly before you go out, because as you say, weather can change. And part of that trip plan is looking at the weather. You hit the nail on the head. And and going through those steps and and looking at all of the processes before you go, we're checking the weather. We check the weather before we go for a road trip. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, One of your uh, valuable um, search and rescue volunteers up there comes down to the coast usually, uh, quite a bit, and, and he's always checking the weather for those road conditions. So we, we do the same before we go for any backcountry adventure during the winter and summer, and making sure that the weather's um, uh, perfect for our conditions and that we're prepared for it as we gain elevation. Of course, the temperature cools, mm-hmm. weather uh, forecasts can come in at different paces, but you know it's coming and you know if you can go or continue, and maybe you have to turn around. Uh, so checking that is critical. And I'm thinking, again, coming back to the Prince George area, as you go up, it doesn't just get cooler. There's a better chance that you're going to run into more snow than you do at the lower elevations. And being prepared for that snowpack, Mm -hmm. those conditions, and and, uh, different snow uh, conditions is is our responsibility. So if we think about those 2,500 volunteers uh, throughout the province, 79 groups, they respond to 1,700 calls approximately every year. It's our job to be very um, respectful and really considerate of their time. Uh, They're highly skilled, highly trained, and they're there for you 24-7 and the number's 911 in case you're curious. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's our job to to plan and be safe for our own adventure. Uh, the destination is always home. Your destination is always home. So plan it that way and consider your search and rescue volunteers in your community. Now, you were saying, I think you said something like about 1,700 call-outs a year. And I'm guessing that's the average over the past few years. But we were talking earlier that search and rescue calls are up this year. And I understand they're actually up a fair number. It's not just two or three. You're right. Uh, This summer was uh, a unique situation Mm -hmm. for all of us with the pandemic, um, with outdoor recreation um, happening a lot by individual choices, by family groups, a lot of active, healthy people here in BC. We love to play outside. Mm -hmm. And then also with that encouragement from our health officials to to go outdoors, it it is a safer space. And it's great for us, isn't it? It's perfect to head out there, get physically fit, clears the mind. It's, It's wonderful all around. However... 
There's a lot of people that maybe were just getting back into an activity that they did years ago and they wanted to try it again, or they were about to try a new activity, uh, and they started to explore their local trails and maybe go farther than they needed to be, or just go farther in their abilities and challenge themselves a little bit too much. So pulling back those reins a little bit, being really cognizant of what your conditions are like in your region of the province, which is different for you than me down here on the coast, <laughs> and being prepared for those. It's, it's our responsibility. That trickles down to you, your family, to search and rescue, and to our health system. And I guess if you're planning, say, next weekend, you're figuring, well, it's the, it's the, it's the holidays, we're going to have a few of our little groups get together, we're going to stay socially distanced and everything, but we're going to go out for the first time. Maybe make it a shorter trip than you might otherwise, because people aren't used to being out there now. Plan for that short adventure and give it a test run. I, I, I think that's a great way to look at it. We had someone the other day that used our trip plan app uh, for the first time, mm-hmm. and she wanted to give it a test run. So she, what she did is she went for a local walk in her community. Um, she knew the trails and she knew the area, but she wanted to test the app. Uh-huh. So it also can be a test for your physical fitness, your mental well-being. Are you ready to get out? Do you have the right boots? Are these really working today? Uh, do I need new ones? Do I need to update my gear? But she actually learned how well the app worked. And she actually left it to um, indicate that she wasn't back on her time that she stated. So she could see how it indicated to her through a text message. Also how it would indicate to her emergency contact. And she was just tickled pink. And what she said is that she said it actually made her feel good to know that someone knew where she was and what she was doing. So give your local walk a test. Give yourself a test. Give the app a test and, uh, and then start to go a little bit farther if you're ready. Okay, so now how, can, how do people access the app? Is it just like BC Adventure Smart or is it just Adventure Smart or what should they type in on their phone to get the app? Head over to the app store mm-hmm. uh, and no matter your device, you, wanted to, you want to look up Adventure Smart. Adventure and, Smart. and the Adventure Smart app will uh, download it free of charge. Uh, it's free of charge for everyone in Canada. Um, we are a national program based on BC mm-hmm. success. We went national in 2009, so pretty exciting there. And, and the app will help any of us in the country for those adventures, big or small. Heading out with your family, uh, heading out for a road trip. Our crew actually use it when we travel on the road to make sure that we all know that we've arrived safely. But for those adventures in the mountains, spring, summer, winter, or fall, uh, it's great to fill out all the details. The more information on that, the better, so that search and rescue have the details of you, your party, what you're wearing, what you're capable with, of, mm-hmm. and they can find you faster. And if they find you faster, that's also success because there's less severity for that call. Okay. And now, again, you were saying the uh, presentation tonight on backcountry safety is full, but if people just want to double-check on that, how can they find out about tonight and about future presentations? Head over to our BC Adventure Smart Facebook page. All of our social handles are the same thing, so we make it easy for you, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, (laughs) and that's B-C-A-D-V Smart. And all of them will be listed there. So tonight is 7 o'clock is our Snow Safety Education Backcountry Awareness, which you're aware of. Mm -hmm. And then December 23rd, we've got our Survive Outside program, which really focuses on those three T's I mentioned. And then January 6th, we're going to run the same presentation tonight on January 6th, Snow Safety Education Backcountry. And then if anyone wants to volunteer with us, 
we welcome you, and and we can train you as an outdoor educator under the Adventure Smart umbrella. So we're running an outdoor educator training workshop on January 21st, and all of those are on our Facebook events. Uh, Registration is required, Mm -hmm. all free of charge, and, and we're here to help you help us help search and rescue great sandra riches from bc adventure smart thank you very much for talking about bc adventure smart and also about how to stay safe outside thank you wishing health and safety to everyone there okay okay uh take a quick break and be back with more after nine let you and i hold hands and tiptoe through the colors and sounds of this season that that is unlike any other a place of truth but also a place of magic hello I'm Gip Forster, and it's time once more to set our hearts free. So join me in a journey from the past to the present. It feels like Christmas. Sponsored in part by Four Rivers Co-op, three times daily here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. COVID-19 has not only affected public health, but also manufacturing. The end result is a shortage of snowblowers in Canada. A&D Power Equipment still has snowblowers in stock, but they won't last long. Stop by A&D Power Equipment today and pick up your new snowblower before they're gone. The perfect Christmas gift for the whole family. Open Monday through Saturday for the best in sales and service. A&D Power Equipment, just off 22nd Avenue at 2218 South Nicholson. Hi, I'm Mike Morris, MLA for Prince George Mackenzie. Despite the hardships endured because of COVID, please take the time to show those we love and those close to us that we're thinking of them over this holiday season. May 2021 bring us all brighter days. Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy this morning with a 60% chance of flurries this afternoon. Wind from the south at 20 gusting to 40. Temperature steady near plus 1. Tonight, periods of snow with a risk of freezing rain, a low of minus 4. For Thursday, periods of snow in the morning, then a mix of sun and cloud. Wind becoming south 20 near noon. A high of minus 2 with a wind chill to minus 10 in the morning. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station. 93.1 CFIS-FM. There is a group in town that um, a lot of people may have heard of, especially recently, but they may not know for sure what it is, the Community Counseling Centre, and joined now by Jillian Wagg with the centre. So I guess that's the first question, Jillian. What is the Community Counseling Centre? Hi, Alan. Hello. So the Community Counseling Centre is... Um, kind of two things for our community. One, we are a counseling center, so we're low-cost, low-barrier, short- and long-term counseling center where people can come and access mental health counseling. And secondly, all of our counselors are, gra- are students um, in their practicum with the UMBC Masters of Counseling program. So they are um, being able to graduate their program by providing practicum hours, and they do that by providing this service. Wow. Yeah. So it's sort of a win-win for them. They get hours for their program so they can graduate, but they're also getting some training in what they're probably going to be doing when they graduate. Exactly, exactly. And you mentioned training, and that's something that we do a lot here. So what's unique about our center is um, the level of supervision. So the all of the counseling sessions are, um, we're able to watch them and to provide feedback, provide training. We have weekly training. We have a lot of different professors that are part of it that provide their unique perspectives. So the level of training is really high. And a lot of these counselors um, 
we have a big a big portion of them stay in PG or the north, and then some move on to other places, but they carry this practice with them. Yeah. Now, you were saying you've got like the instructors and other people watching the different counseling sessions. I'm kind of guessing they're not right in the room most of the they're time. They're not. No, nope. because that would be kind of uncomfortable for the it person would, being counseled. Yeah. yeah. So we we've got. Um, and, and all of our clients know this and agree with mm-hmm. this, and that's where our, it's really beautiful. Our clients actually really give a lot by allowing themselves to be um, guided by a student. So is, there's a reciprocity there. So all of our sessions are audio and videotaped, and so supervisors can watch from a totally separate room what's going mm-hmm. on live, and then you can also reflect back and you know, yeah, look they, at a tape from a couple of weeks ago. They yeah. can play it back for the student and maybe go over and say, that question was phrased a little bit awkwardly for the person, or that was a really good question that you asked there. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. So now, I think you were saying it's mental health counseling. Anything specific in terms of mental health counseling? Like, obviously, because I think you were saying low cost, low barrier, and obviously... It's sort of like person-to-person, so this is not a crisis line, is it? No, yeah, we're not a crisis line. Um, So the range of things we serve is very wide. Um, So, of course, depression, anxiety are some big ones. Mm -hmm. People with past trauma, um, relationship issues. Um, So... um, Yeah, even if you've got a mental health diagnosis, we can help with that. it's a really wide range of, of issues we can work through. And um, the, the clientele we serve is a really wide range, too, because it is low cost and low barrier, which means people can pay 0 to $20. Um, so some people will, um, are able to pay and want to pay, and maybe they just ran out of their EFAP or their mm. insurance. Yeah. Um, other folks won't be able to pay, and that's okay, too. Um, some people have done lots of private counseling before and just want to try this. Some people have been on wait lists for a really long time and will try us out. So we get a really wide range of people coming. Now, you were saying some people had been maybe going to other counseling in the past and want to give you guys a try, and then others have been on wait lists. Do you sometimes get sort of flip-flop then? The people have been on wait lists, but they figure I want to get some help right now, so they come to you, and there is sort of the understanding, as soon as I can get off the wait list for this other person, I would like to go to them instead. Well, uh, yeah, that that can happen, mm-hmm. um, but so if they're on a wait list for more specific, you know, services, um, then we can we can help them until they get on that wait list or until they're they're able to see. But some folks then just choose to stay with us too. Yeah. So it's totally up to the individual. Um, and uh, what's what's great about our center is there's a longevity. So some private um, you know insurance providers will only provide six to eight sessions. Mm-hmm. So for some folks that's enough, but for others that's not. And so what's beautiful about our model is that either the client's going to be paired with a student for eight months and then for some students they're here for a full year so they could even see that same counselor for a whole year of of free counseling and then if they feel like they want to stay they can stay we just transfer them to a new student so we're able to work with people 
for as long as they need. Um, and there's, there just are some complex issues, or say someone's going through really intense and uh, present grief and loss. It's not going to help to get six sessions, right? Yeah. So we, we can stay with that person on that journey for a much longer time. Okay, Julian, we've got to go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about the Community Counseling Centre after 9. Alban Classical has an activity the whole family can enjoy together. It's their multi-generational band. Tuesday evenings at 5.30, join in for an hour of musical fun led by some of our city's top classical musicians. Participation is free, but you must register. There's a limited number of instruments available for use on a first-come, first-served basis. To register, call Alban Classical at 250-563-4693. Multi-generational band presented by Alban Classical, 5.30 Tuesday evenings at First Baptist Church. Be sure to shop local this holiday season. If you're seen shopping local in preparation for the holidays, you could be visited by one of the Prince George Chamber's hashtag holiday PG elves. The Chamber will also be announcing some great prizes that you could qualify for just by doing your shopping. Check the Chamber's website at pgchamber.bc.ca or their social media pages through Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Shop local, get rewarded with hashtag HolidayPG from your Chamber of Commerce this holiday season. Through their digital delivery instruction initiative, CNC is offering an opportunity for you to get your bookkeeping certificate online. DDI uses interactive real-time instruction delivered with video technology and support through a classroom at any of their six campuses. Cost is about $3,500 with the course scheduled to start in January. Full details and registration are available through the Programs and Courses link at cnc.bc.ca. The bookkeeping certificate program starting in January at CNC. The Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation's Festival of Trees is continuing. While the auction and other signature events are done for the year, you can still take part in the Light Up Prince George event, the annual Festival of Cash 50-50, and the Diamond Draw. All money raised helps support the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation's fundraising efforts for a dedicated molecular diagnostic lab at UHNBC. For full details of ongoing Festival of Trees events, visit festivaloftreespg.ca. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. What you were saying earlier, Jillian, is most of the counseling that you provide at Community Counseling Center one-on-one, like one student in their practicum and one person looking for help? Yes, yep, that's exactly it, yep. Um, We have in the past provided couples counseling too, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. Um, and and serves a big need in Prince George, um, but we're we're not this year simply because the professor that specializes in couples counseling is away on sabbatical. Um, so we will pick that up again when he's back. So I guess you could almost that's one of the hazards of using students as your counselors is if their teacher isn't around, you can't really counsel on that particular item. That's true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. So. Um, what kind of changes did you, I'm, I'm thinking in March of this year, you guys probably had the same situation as everybody else. You had to make some changes because of COVID. What did you do? Yeah, huge changes. Mm-hmm. So um, prior, I mean, all of our sessions were face-to-face. So someone would be interested in counseling. They'd give us a call. We'd book an intake. They'd drop in. 
we would do that intake face-to-face, and then they'd be, you know, paired with a counsellor. And we've got um, eight counselling rooms here, so the students would take them in, and they would do their counselling. And so the, all of that has changed now. So we are now a on, an online, a virtual model, and a phone model now mm-hmm. um, in, in order to respond to COVID. So that means, like, huge, huge costs. So before, you know, we only had two phones and a computer, and now we have eight phones. We've mm-hmm. got phones in every single counseling room. So the students can provide counseling confidentially in their own space. Also, so that the students um, can stay in their own room throughout the day because of COVID. And we've also had to um, get computer software and use computers to provide the online counseling. So our whole, our whole delivery model has shifted. And, um, yeah, so it, it looks very different now. It's, it's, we're here with laptops and with telephones and, and no, no person-to-person right wow. now. Yeah. So I'm guessing with those changes, the uh, the Miracle on Third fundraiser that one of the other radio stations in town held recently probably came as uh, quite a godsend. Oh, a huge godsend! Like huge, because we are a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we we have to think about paying rent every month, and um, we we're just branching out to look for more sustainable financial funding. And so when something like COVID happens and all of a sudden we have to spend upwards of thousands of dollars on phones or increasing our internet, it's a huge, huge hit to our center. So it was an amazing godsend. The support we received from the community was outstanding. And and now we we feel much better um, to keep providing these services through the phone and through, through the computers because we can actually afford to. Well, one thing I was wondering, because you were saying that it's provided by students at UNBC who are in their practicum, um, do you have to set up a schedule for them to make sure you've got coverage 12 months of the year? Because I'm thinking a lot of those classes run for like the fall and winter semesters, and then they take the summer off, and I don't think a lot of your people would be happy if they were told, okay, well, this is our last session for four months while I go on summer holidays. Yeah, you're right. So that is something we have to consider. So um, luckily for for us, um, there are spring and summer classes at UMBC. So um, that means that the students can be here for eight months to ten months straight, um, except we only take August off. So we do shut down in August mm-hmm. because that is um, when the students are not in session and there's no classes, and that's kind of our one time for a break so so we do shut down in august but the rest of the year we're we're up and running so i'm thinking if you shut down in august would i be correct in figuring you try not to get any counseling started in july unless it's something everybody figures could be done in two or three sessions because you don't want to go two or three sessions and have to take a month off exactly yeah sounds like you've got a good uh, concept of how counseling works (laughs) you're absolutely right um and so that's why um, you know, I, as, as the supervisor, I'm strategic in pairing clients with, with students because I would never want to pair somebody unless I thought it could really help to only see a student for, say, a couple months or three or four months. 
I much prefer um, pairing them with someone that they can see for eight months to a year. Yeah. So that is that is um, oh, there's flexibility, and that is part of our our model is being strategic about placing. So when we do run into a few wait lists, that's usually why is just because I've got a group of students that are all graduating in two months. I don't want to pair you with someone and yeah. just get to know them. Just open up your heart and your story, and then it's and then it's all done. So that is that is something we have to deal with, and that is constantly changing um, as as students um, join the program and leave the program. And it, yeah, it's it's a moving parts, right? It's a living organism. Now you were saying that you occasionally have um, clients who will maybe see a student for eight, ten months, a year, and then the student's practicum is over, does it usually take very long to get the new student up to stream with the client? That's a great question. Um, so it, it actually, it, you know what, you'd be surprised. It actually doesn't um, because the way counseling is is, at the heart of it, what is the most healing is just the connection and the relationship. And so what that means is we're really training students to just connect with people yep. first. And if anyone's gone to counseling, they'll, they'll let you know that um, you, the best counselors are just who you feel you connect with, who you feel safe with, who, who um, is a good fit for you. And it's true that not everyone's a good fit for each other, and that's okay. Just the way that um, out in the world, there's just some people we click with more than others. And so, um, but with the intention of just getting to know the person and building that safety and and building a relationship, the clients then um, are really gracious and, you know, okay, now this this student's new and they're coming on. Mm -hmm. How do I feel? How do I click with them? And for the most part, it actually works really well. They they end up clicking with this new student, and they the relationship might be a little different. They might work on different issues, mm-hmm. but they'll still get what they need. Or in in rare cases, this doesn't happen often. If they say that student wasn't a great fit, can I try someone else? We can just do that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's nothing personal, and it it's all it's all about the um, the connection and the learning and the growth. So yeah. So. People want more information about the Community Counseling Center. Obviously, right now, from what you're saying, they can't just drop by your office. So how do they get in touch with you? So one of the best ways to get in touch is just to phone us. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have somebody on at the desk that can answer a lot of questions. And we've also got our website. Okay. So uh, let's go through. What's the phone number to start with? Mm 250-562-6690. And the website? Is just the Community Counseling Center. Oh, I'll have to double check that. Let me Google it. I don't know if it's dot, dot .ca or dot .com. Yeah, I could probably check my oh, email. Oh, it's dot .com. Okay, there we go. thank you. Okay. So it's just Community Counseling Center, all one word, dot .com. Okay. Jillian Wagg with the Community Counseling Center. Thank you for letting people know about the services you're providing for Prince George. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Alan. Yeah. It was a pleasure to talk and to share um, about the center. Okay. We'll talk again later, probably. You betcha. Okay. Take care, Alan. You too. Bye-bye. Take another quick break and be back with more after 9. For over 40 years, Studio Fair has been the largest one-of-a-kind artisan fair in northern B.C., 
This year, the Community Arts Council is bringing you an online alternative to the live event, cancelled due to COVID-19. The usual three-day event is the Arts Council's major fundraiser, and you can connect with the artists and artisans this year at studiofair.ca. Stay tuned as the Council makes plans to return with a live event again next year. Studio Fair from the Community Arts Council, online this year at studiofair.ca. Hi, I'm Tom Savage, Kingston songwriter and guitar slinger. There's no denying streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music are super convenient, but remember, they basically don't provide any income for musicians. To support independent music in our local scene, it's up to us as music fans to go that extra mile. Buy physical merchandise, send a donation to show your appreciation, help feed creativity, and help artists pay the rent because Spotify sure won't cut it. Operation Red Nose Prince George will not be providing its safe ride home service during the upcoming holiday season. The decision from the national office is a direct result of the COVID-19 pandemic and the logistics involved in keeping volunteers and clients safe. In Prince George, Operation Red Nose will conduct an awareness campaign through December. While they are unable to provide the service they have for the past 20 years in Prince George, Operation Red Nose looks forward to again offering safe rides home in the 2021 holiday season forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy this morning with a 60% chance of flurries this afternoon. Wind from the south at 20 gusting to 40. Temperature steady near plus 1. Tonight periods of snow with a risk of freezing rain, a low of minus 4. For Thursday periods of snow in the morning, then a mix of sun and cloud. Wind becoming south 20 near noon, a high of minus 2 with a wind chill to minus 10 in the morning. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS FM. Well, we started the show today by heading outdoors with BC Adventure Smart, and we're, we're going to sort of stay outdoors. Ed Morris and Liz Wass join me today talking about the Willow River Demonstration Force, and the way we got it set up, as I understand it, is, Ed, you're going to be speaking for the first segment for the most part with Liz occasionally chiming in, and then you guys are going to switch roles to the second part. Is that about what you guys figured? I don't know if we got Sounds Liz good. on the line yet. Oh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. you're I, both on the line. Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, um, I think that's it. Uh, I was going to try and get Liz to take a bit of the lead on the uh, on the demonstration for us part, the tour part. And yeah, then I would do the second segment. So, yeah, so we'll start, Ed, we'll start with you. And Liz, if sure. you've got some thoughts as we go through on this first part, chime in, and I don't think Ed will take it too personally. <laughs> nope. Okay, so I guess, first off, Ed, what is the Willow River demonstration forest. I'm thinking most people in Prince George, you don't need to take them out to a bunch of trees and say, this is a forest. I'm, I'm assuming Willow River demonstration forest is a little bit more than that. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a concept that, uh, it's a long story, but it was a concept that started in 75 with the Canadian Institute of Forestry, the local caribou section had the idea. Um, and uh, sort of through time, you know, they've acquired a woodlot and the intent there was to demonstrate forest practices. Um, you know, harvesting, reforestation, and so forth. But uh, connected with that was this uh, walking tour, because those were very popular in the 80s to build mm-hmm. those. So uh, that was really the initiative. And so I guess the next question I've got then is, where is the Willow River demonstration? Because I've got to admit, I sort of have an idea in my mind of where it is, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, so if you go um, um, about 30 minutes east of town mm-hmm. uh, on Highway 16, um, there's a highways pullout just where the Willow River crosses Highway 16. There's a there's a highways pullout on the north side of the highway. I'm turning left, going from town. Yeah. Uh, and you go down in there, and there's a little uh, you know washrooms and the typical kind of little 
pull out, and there's a sign that says Willow River Demonstration Forest um, by the highway there, and uh, there's a trailheads right there. It's well marked. Perfect. And so now you've got, uh, is this the first time that you guys have done a thinning project out there? Yeah, so for the commercial thinning project, um, the uh, we, we've done some small uh, equipment harvesting before mm-hmm. with some of the mountain pine beetle salvage where we went in and just you know, removed individual dead pine trees mm-hmm. and retained the rest. And we did that a number of years ago, back in the 2000s. I can't remember specifically the year. You know, and reforested the openings and so forth. Um, but this is our first um, foray into doing what they call a commercial thinning. And you might think of it sort of European forest management to give you an idea right. what that is. So, yeah, this will be our first uh, commercial thinning operation. Not the first in the north. Um, there, there was a fair amount done... I can't remember the years, in the mid-90s with Mm -hmm. pine, before the mountain pine beetle outbreak, there was quite a bit done uh, west of town here. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, with mountain pine beetle and sort of refocusing, you know, really not much had happened um, until recently. And a number of companies in the area and plus us have sort of uh, looking and investigating this idea, well, can we go in uh, into our uh, younger stands and remove some of the trees that were going to die? So that's the purpose of the thinning project is go through, see which trees are in sort of bad shape anyways, and this company will then go in and bring them out and leave everything else where it is. Yeah, that's the idea. It's a recovery operation, um, and sometimes called thinning from below, um, you know, where you're leaving the prime crop trees to continue to grow, uh, and you remove trees that may die in the interim, you know, is at risk for some reason. Because normally you get some fallout of a stand as it develops. Um, You know, I've seen numbers, uh, and these are things we've got to test, but, you know, I've seen numbers like a 30% increase in recovery uh, from from a commercial thinning. So, you know, if you just let them grow and harvest it at the end, um, uh, with commercial thinning you might recover 30% more volume in that time period. Now, is the demonstration forest um, all one species, or are there a variety of species in there? It's really mixed. Um, the The forest was right on the edge of the Grove Burn, and so I, any of your listeners are old enough that, you know, 1961, that was our Kelowna fire, um, and the, the fire burned and just caught the edge of... Um, of that area out there. So we've got some really young, well, they're not young anymore. I guess they're 50-year-old <laughs> forests um, and, and then much older, mature forests. And uh, um, and so and the mixed species, mixed ages, and so lots of opportunities to try different things. And the site has really got a, a really different um, ecosystem, too, uh, you know, and, and site quality. So I'm sorry trying not to use technical yeah, terms I, here. Yeah, but, thank you. But uh, on the um, south side, you know, sort of uh, more typical forest-rich, you know, growing right. um, spruce and uh, balsam. And then on the north side, these sandy flats that are more pine-orientated and Douglas fir-orientated, poor quality, uh, you know, in terms of volume growth, tree volume growth, but, uh, you know, different and really interesting. And so some interesting opportunities present themselves there. So now what's the timeline for the thinning project? When does the company figure they're going to be able to start, or have they already started? They've, they've already started. Um, we got started back in September, um, and uh, it was a little slow going at the beginning. We had some mechanical breakdowns and getting used to the site, but uh, they've really picked up um, 
the operation. And, and so they've, uh, I don't know as of today exactly how much they've done, but I think we're probably around 10, 10 hectares, about maybe a quarter of the area we plan to treat. Okay. So now is there a timeline for the project in terms of, you know, do, I'm a, you've obviously got a contract with the company. How long is the contract for? Yeah, we're being a little, like it's going to happen this winter. It will mm. be complete. Wow. Um, okay. But uh, we've been sort of um, being flexible. One thing over COVID, we had a machine breakdown and couldn't get the parts for a month and a half. Mm. Um, but uh, so there's those kinds of things at work. But we're also, because it's a demonstration forest and this is uh, a demonstration, you know, we want to do a good job, not a fast job. Yeah. And uh, the company we've got, uh, Freya, Freya Logging, is really, does a really top quality work. Um, and, uh, you know, we're so. We haven't set we haven't specifically set a deadline, but um, it'll happen this winter, and and, uh, and we're monitoring as it goes, and it's progressing nicely now. We're we're back up and running. Perfect. Okay, Ed, we're going to have to go to a quick break. When we come back, I think it'll be Liz's turn to take center stage, if you will, talking about um, people taking tours remotely, if you will, of the demonstration forest after nine. Construction is complete on a project to upgrade the intersection of Domano Boulevard with St. Lawrence Avenue and Gladstone Drive. The new signals operate in a manner similar to those at 22nd and Ospica. The lights remain green on Domano until a vehicle approaches the intersection on Gladstone or St. Lawrence. The updated intersection has vehicle detection technology and pedestrian-activated crosswalks. The City of Prince George thanks residents for their patience as crews carried out this important operation and for driving cautiously around road crews. A unique musical experience is now available for you online. Redshift Music has produced 23 isolation music videos for the LaGrange Point Project. Play as many of the videos as you like, simultaneously or in any order, to create a virtually endless array of unique listening experiences. Composed by Jordan Nobles, an extended version album is also available on Redshift Records. Check it out today. The LaGrange Point Project from Redshift Music. Available online at redshiftmedia.org. Here are this week's announcements from Volunteer Prince George. The Salvation Army is looking for volunteers to ring bells during their annual Christmas cattle campaign. The South Fort George Family Resource Center is offering the free drop-in Little Artists program from 10 to 11.30 Thursdays. And Two Rivers Gallery is open to the public Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 to 5. For more information on these and other volunteer opportunities, visit volunteerpg.com or call 250-564-0224. Tourism Prince George has a new look. From their website to social channels with a new color palette, check out their newly crowned destination, Base Camp to the North. The new site includes an interactive map, a robust directory for dining, and a dedicated page for staycations. Visit tourismpg.com to see for yourself and engage with Tourism Prince George by using the hashtags TakeOnPG and ExplorePrinceGeorge. With great links to local happenings and attractions, tourismpg.com. Base camp to the north. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. So we are talking about the Willow River, Willow River Demonstration Forest this morning. At least I'm hoping you guys are. I don't know if I am. Uh, Liz Wass, um, I'm guessing, Liz, your job came about to some extent, well, your function of it came about because of COVID. Yeah, that's right. Uh, So I've been a member of our local caribou section of the CIS for uh, since 2015, really, when Mm -hmm. I was still a student at UNBC. And 
I got involved uh, through volunteering as a walk in the woods tour guide. So that's an annual event that we host during National Forestry Week. Right. So that's a, a celebration for that event there, and which is the third week in September. And so now, all of a sudden, you've got tours throughout the year event as well, I believe, with schools. But all of a sudden, COVID comes along, and I'm guessing that you guys figured out fairly quickly, okay, six feet apart, if we've got any sort of a decent-sized group going for a tour, isn't going to work very well. Yeah, absolutely. So last year, just to give you an idea, we had over 500 school kids participate. So there's no way that we can, you know, have those numbers and keep everyone safe from COVID, especially traveling on school buses to the site and all that. So, yeah, we had to get a little bit creative. And now I'm guessing COVID came along in March, and I'm thinking March may have been just sort of the tail end of the off-season, if you will, for school tours. I'm guessing not too many school tours during the winter. Yeah, for sure. And, and this tour particularly is, is held in September. And But, I mean, the public can go to the Willow River at any time of the year, mm-hmm. of course. But our event is in September, right, when everything's going busy again. So then you can't do the tours through the forest on foot. So... A, how long did it take to come up with the idea of doing a virtual tour? Um, it wasn't too long. I mean, I think folks are, have been trying to get creative, and uh, it was really important to us that we still celebrate National Forestry Week and, and maintain the presence of the Walk in the Woods tour. So we decided to host a virtual tour online. Okay. So when did you start putting that together and how long did, what did you do? Did you just basically, did you just walk through your usual walk and talk about it as you went or how did you do it? Pretty much. So myself and another CIS uh, member, Joe Yurkowicz, we organized a day for folks to come out to the Little River and uh, record stops in the tour. So it was just our sort of local section folks and everyone was, um, you know, socially distant and we had, um, hand sanitizer and everyone wore you know, masks and everything and so what we did is we organized various stops and um, we had people talk about those stops on the tour and sort of organize them in, in chapters and themes so coniferous trees, deciduous trees wildlife habitats, forest management things like that and then we all got together there and uh, recorded the stops on the tour and compiled them into videos and posted them online Wow. So for people who had maybe been on the tour before, say in 2017, 2018, whatever, they could go online and to some extent they're seeing exactly the same thing they saw when they went out on foot. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So the the trail has interpretive signs with information for folks to read and uh, the trail itself is very beautiful and uh, so lots to look at on there. So... These are now. Are you getting? Have you gotten much interest from schools in terms of being able to use the virtual tour as well? Yeah. So that was kind of our, our main focus mm-hmm. for this project. Um, not only to celebrate National Forestry Week, but also to try and provide teachers with some um, additional resources to supplement their curriculum. Uh, nothing replaces getting outside and selling the balsam trees, touching. Douglas fir cones, looking at bugs, finding fungi, but we did. We we were hoping that we would be able to share these videos in their classrooms and still get kids excited about going outside. 
So was there any thought given if you got a call from a school, say, that wanted to have, say, one of their classes watch the vi- virtual tour, was there any thought may- given to maybe going out and getting some pine cones and stuff like that that you could s- send to the classroom to almost act as teaching aids while they were watching the video? Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, we were really involved in, in doing stuff like that, and, and all this stuff is available online on the CIS server section Facebook page, and also uh, the CIS has a, a YouTube channel as well. But I think that's a great idea to supplement some of those things and still have stuff for the kids to touch if, if they feel that's safe to do so. So do you guys, or did you in the past or do you now do any actual in-school presentations on the uh, Willow River Demonstration Forest? Um, that's a good question. I, I'm, I think in the past perhaps we have. I'm pretty sure, Ed, have you gone to do demonstrations at schools? No, we, uh, we haven't uh, done in-school um, materials or presentations, uh, partly just straight up staffing and time. Mm-hmm. So we put all of our energy into those, uh, into that fall uh, tour, uh, and um, and also public tours that we got. You know, and certainly, you know, I think if teachers are interested, we're more than willing to, you know, respond to that. We we um, uh, work independently with the uh, Council of Forest Industries and the, and the tours that they do. So, you know, we're we're a bit cooperative with with uh, Jim Costley over there. Okay, so Liz. If people want to find the tour, now is it one video of the entire thing or is it all the different sections are separate on the website? That's right, yeah. All the sections are separate and they're brief. They're all less than five minutes. Well, just kind of give you a little taste of, of what's out there, the little river. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, a good opportunity to sort of get familiar with that area and uh, we love the Willow River and all it has to offer from you know, education to nature therapy. It's, it's a beautiful forest with lots of history, and we, we just wanted to make sure people could still celebrate that. So I'm guessing the, one of the things that probably some of the students and some other people probably like is they can take this tour, and they don't have to do all the walking in between the different spots. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> now... How much fun was it for you guys putting this whole thing together? Oh, it was awesome. It was, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I like projects like this for sure. And it was mm-hmm. nice to get a small group of us together and catch up a little bit in that sense as well. And just getting out and putting some work into a project that I, I hope lots of people will enjoy. Okay, so then that brings up the big question that I don't think we've touched on yet. What is the website that people can go to to get the tour of the Willow River Demonstration Forest? Yeah, for sure. So, um, like I mentioned, we our local section of the CIS has a Facebook page, which is just CIS-IFC Caribou section, and Caribou is spelled C-A-R-I-B-O-O, mm-hmm. not like the animal. No. <laughs> um, I, and I see that a lot. And then there's also the CIS uh, YouTube channel, and you can just Google CIF YouTube channel, and all the episodes will come up. Sounds great. Okay, um, I think that about does it. Ed Morris, Liz Wass, uh, talking about the Willow Rabbit. The next time I have you guys on, I promise I will know how to say the name of the place. <laughs> the Willow River Demonstration Forest. Thank you both very much for taking the time today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks very much, Alan. Okay. Take care. Okay. Um, 
We got a couple of minutes, I think. And uh, quick note: the uh, Prince George Chamber of Commerce, of course, has their hashtag Holiday PG promotion underway, and that actually ends tomorrow, where you can get caught by an elf if you're out at a local business. If you get caught shopping, you can get a local gift card on the spot, or you take a picture of yourself purchasing from a local business, tag the chamber, and hashtag it HolidayPG, and you're entered into a weekly draw for a $100 gift card to a local business. You can get all the information on hashtag HolidayPG at pgchamber.bc.ca. That will wrap it up for today. I will be back tomorrow after 9. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. This is CFIS 93.1 FM in Prince George, proudly supported by community groups like Theatre Northwest. For the current schedule and tickets, visit theaternorthwest.com.